This is Shine On, the health and happiness show, with new episodes every week on how to live well. Shine On is heard all over the world as a podcast, but it's heard first on the radio in New York's Hudson Valley. Hi, it's Casey. Thank you so much for tuning in to Shine On. So the question this past couple of weeks has been, why haven't I done a podcast in two weeks? Well, let me tell you. I haven't done a podcast in two weeks or a Sunday morning show if you're listening to this on the radio. I haven't done a show in two weeks because I haven't been moved by any of the conversations that I've had recently. I've interviewed a lot of people, but nothing was just filling me up, you know? Nothing was striking me. And I didn't want to push, so we had a couple of um, replays. I hope you enjoyed them. But now I have something to say, and I needed time to be able to say this in the correct way because I don't want to offend anyone. So here's what happened the other day. I got an email, opening my email in the morning while I'm on the air live. Not that I'm reading my email live on the air, I'm not. I'm just opening my email, and there's usually a bunch of emails overnight. All sorts of things come in, so there's more than 100 emails. And most of it is just news-related. You know, I sign up for a lot of news alerts and things like that throughout Westchester and the Hudson Valley. But some of it is uh, pitches from guests who want to be on the show. Rarely do I get like a Dear Casey personal email. But the other day, well, it's a couple weeks back now, I got this email that was literally like seven paragraphs long. And it stunned me because we don't read anymore, right? In these types of situations, When you're opening email or cruising through an app or two, we're scanning, 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 looking for the information that that engages us or the information that is relatable. I am stunned by the seven pages of email because I haven't seen anything like it literally in years. When's the last time you got a long email? And I'm scanning, 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 and I don't see anything that connects with me, like Who is this person? What do they want? What are all these words? What's the nugget? What's the story? I literally couldn't find it. I was reading a lot of words and a lot of emotion, but I didn't know what it had to do with me. And it flipped me out. So (laughs) I wrote back, can you please tell me this story in three sentences? I did. I did that. I wrote back, please tell me this story in three sentences. I I was kind and truthful. And the person wrote back in three smaller paragraphs, and even that was too much. The writer took so long to get to the point, I still didn't know what they wanted from me. And I wrote back again, could you please break this down to who, what, when, where, why? And the writer did that. Like, I think the writer was getting me that I (laughs) was trying But it was just so much information. And then I realized, oh, they were doing something local in the community and they wanted me to mention it. But there was so much emotion behind it. What made me scratch my head for days was my reaction to it. Like, why did it bother me so much that someone, here's what it felt like to me, that someone jumped into my world, pushed themselves into my quiet time, known as opening my email, you know, at 5 a.m., and demanded all this attention from me. It felt aggressive. I know. I had all this emotion because a nice person sent me an email with like 2,000 words in it. But that's what it did to me. I felt a little bit um, visually assaulted and stunned and confused. 
And you know what else I felt? I felt kidnapped. I thought, oh my God, this person is demanding that I take all this time and invest it in them. And I don't even know them. Like, I felt like I was being forced to do something against my will. And I thought, well, maybe I'm just, you know, losing it. And then I pick up this book by Jim Vanderhei and Mike Allen and Roy Schwartz. It's called Smart Brevity, The Power of Saying More with Less. Now, let me tell you about these guys. They're committed to teaching people how to communicate in this new fast-paced world. Oh my God, I have to insert here, by the way. Like apparently now it's a nightmare to even leave somebody a voicemail. I saw that joke, I'm watching Hacks with Jean Smart. You know, she's won a bunch of Emmys. So I finally jumped on board. It's worth it. Hop on. Hacks, Gene Smart. I think it's HBO Max. And uh, Gene Smart is an older comedian working with a younger comedian. And the younger comedian wrote a joke that was, oh, I had a nightmare last night. I dreamt I got a voicemail. And Gene was like, that's not funny. And the young comedian was like, yeah, it is. And I guess that's the thing. Because the other day I left a voicemail for a mom because I wanted to give her son a job. And I thought she'd like to hear my voice. Hi, Mrs. So-and-so. I'd wonder if your son such-and-such would like to do whatever at the food pantry. The woman texts me back. I see you left me a voicemail. Could you just text, please? And I'm like, oh, my God, I'm so out of the loop. You're not supposed to voicemail anymore. Just text. I used to think texting was for personal things and that business things meant a voicemail. But no, you can text anything now. And then it made sense when I thought about it. This mom has four sons. She was probably on a ball field somewhere watching their sports or their practice. And having to listen to a voicemail would take her out of her day, but scanning a text she could do. Anyway, end of my insert. Jim Vandehei, Mike Allen, Roy Schwartz. They are the co-founders of Axios. And Jim is the former CEO of Politico. Their work has appeared everywhere. They've won a bunch of awards. And they say smart brevity will make us more forceful communicators. Whether we write newsletters, emails, stories, speeches, presentations, tweets, or posts, you can become a more effective, efficient, and memorable sharer. So they're actually teaching us in this book how to craft our words to be part of today's world. Smart Brevity, Jim Vandehei is here, helping us understand how to communicate today and helping me understand why I had such a terrible reaction to a long email. Who else should pick up a copy of Smart Brevity? Target audience is really anybody who wants to be a better communicator, whether you're a student, a teacher, a preacher, someone in business, someone in leadership. Uh, It's not written for, even though I'm a journalist, it's not really written for journalists. It's written for people who are struggling with being heard in this era of distraction. And we use a lot of the tricks that we learned in journalism and certainly a lot of the tricks that we've learned from creating a media company to enable them to understand that the world is just a much different place. It's a distracted place. It's hard to get people to pay attention to anything. Ariana Huffington wrote, if getting your message across matters to you, this is the way to do it. Smart Brevity, the book. And Jim, going through the book, I'm beginning to feel my reaction to that long email wasn't so crazy after all. You've become much more attuned to you don't have that much time and you want people to be respectful of your intelligence and respectful of your time. If someone was pitching you something, why were they sending you paragraphs in an email? That was self-indulgent of them. And it's it's incumbent upon you as a 
communicator to be respectful of that of the audience, to be as succinct and clear uh, as possible, to be as efficient with people's time as possible. If there's something you want them to know or something you want them to buy, say it directly, say it clearly, say it succinctly, and a magical thing happens. People will pay attention. They won't do what you did, which is close the email and tell them to go pound dirt and give you a shorter version later. (laughs) (laughs) I think I could get a grip on the written uh, brevity and definitely the verbal brevity. But how do we incorporate smart brevity into visual communications? Yeah, even there, too, uh, certainly we see it in, in a business setting. Like the clearer you are with charts, the clearer you are with visuals, the better chance you have that people will remember what you have to say. That's what this whole book is about. It's that if you communicate, you clearly had something important to you. And if you communicate in a foggy way, it means your thinking was foggy. And if you communicate in a long-winded way, it means that you have not sharpened what you actually want to say. And the idea is you've got to look at the world you live in. 80% of information consumption is done on a mobile phone. People check that mobile phone on average like 250 times a day, and probably a lot of us more than that. They're distracted. And yet everyone continues to communicate like it's 1990. Like you've got to change. You've got to adapt. You have to realize that people are skimming and they're scanning and they're busy and they're distracted and they're overwhelmed. So you can be a much better communicator if you can be both smart, the smart and smart brevity, but also the brief, efficient, the efficiency of brevity. And that's the whole concept of smart brevity, that there are several steps that you can take to be a more efficient communicator, which then makes you more effective communicator. And when you do that, people want to hear from you. They don't shut down the computer or they don't delete the email. They welcome communications from you. But if you are a teacher or you're a pre- if your sermon is an hour, you're probably not going to keep somebody. If it's 10 minutes, it's tight, it's provocative, it's interesting, you might keep somebody. If you're an academic and you write using words that no one would ever read or use at a bar, no one's going to read it. You're writing for yourself. It's self-indulgent. That one step of stop writing for yourself, start writing for the other person. Simplify and clarify what it is you want the other person to realize. Use normal words. Stop speaking with SAT words. Stop speaking in acronyms. Almost everything you write, if you want to be a really effective communicator, should be the way that you would talk excitedly if I met you at a bar for a beer. You wouldn't use fancy. You wouldn't use loquacious or laconic or those fancy words I can toss out to make it clear I went to college. People want to like smack you when you do that. They don't want to embrace you. You want to be embraced. What about being polite or buttering someone up or being like, you know, above the fray, a little bit more dignified? Has that all gone by the wayside or can we still be brief and kind? You can be brief and kind, right? It, it all depends, right? If you're trying to ask somebody on a date, like that's different than trying to get somebody to pay attention uh, to, to, to something that's important to you in a work context or school context or community context. But the idea would be whether uh, whether it's an email or whether it's a text, like grab me, provoke me, say I've got something exciting to tell you, and then tell me exactly what it is you want to tell me. Then give me the context of why it matters. Be really respectful and engaging. Use sharp, normal human words, and you will see a big difference in people paying attention to you. So I don't think short doesn't mean unkind. You could be kind with few words. I love you three words, right? The best Mm. three words in the world. And like it, that captures like 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 simplicity is, is is magic, and it's hard to be efficient, right? We have this we have this slogan taped up in our newsroom that says uh, brevity is confidence, length is fear. 
It's true. It's hard to be brief and efficient. It's hard to sharpen your own thinking. But when you do, people hear you. People remember. I get it. I get brevity is confidence. But how is length fear? Because so many people hide their insecurity in a pile of words. Because they haven't thought exactly what they want to say, they just write and write and write and hope that somewhere in that magical pile of words, some sentence, some paragraph will stick. That's what happens with the email example you gave. That person probably in that pile of words, those paragraphs, there's probably one good sentence. You wanted to tell me the three most important things? Imagine if that person had done that. Why didn't they do it? They probably weren't thinking clearly themselves. They certainly weren't being respectful of your time. But had they done the clear thinking, had they been respectful of your time, you might have bought the product or given them whatever they were asking for in that email. Right, 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 right. Smart brevity, the paying, the power of saying more with less. I have to let you go. Uh, give us a pitch for Axios, please. What would you like everybody to know about what you do? Well, Axios is all about getting people smarter, faster on the topics that matter. Our book is Smart Brevity, smartbrevity.com. I'm Jim at Axios. Give me any feedback you have, good or bad. We're just here to try to help people be better communicators. And we can find Jim at axios.com. Jim Vandehei, along with Mike Allen and Roy Schwartz, wrote the book Smart Brevity, The Power of Saying More with Less. I've often told people when I give tips about how to write to people in the media, I say, go ahead and write your email and then look at the last paragraph. Often, that's all you need. And here in the book Smart Brevity, they have some tips and tricks. Before you write, list the points you must make. List the points you must make. Then whittle down that list of points to the most important one or two. You can do it. Edit, edit, edit. Then do a real gut check. Is this point or detail or concept essential? Is there a simpler way to convey it? Delete, delete, delete. What words, sentences, or paragraphs can you eliminate before sending? I remember back in my uh, community theater days, I was reading a script down by the river, and who wanders across my path but an actual book editor who sees me with a script and asked what I was doing. I said, oh, you know, we're doing these one-act plays, but this one's a little too long, and and this editor said to me, funny how this editor just walked into my world. What I learned in school was, if something is too long, the first thing to do is take out all the adjectives. And I was like, yeah. So when you look back over what you've printed, you really can take out a lot of adjectives. That'll save you some characters. Anyway, Smart Brevity is the book. I'll leave you with this one thought from the guys at Axios. When was the last time you heard a speech, a toast, a roast, and thought, that was great. I just wish it had gone on longer and foggier. Never is the answer. The Gettysburg Address was 272 words. Okay, so we have learned that 80% of information comes from mobile phones and that people check their phones 250 times a day and that we do mostly skimming and scanning. But that doesn't mean we're not delving into science and imagination. Randall Monroe is here. You may be heard of his number one New York Times bestseller, What If. Now it's What If 2, additional serious scientific answers to absurd hypothetical questions. Such as, if you stripped away all of the rules of car racing and had a contest that was simply to get a human being around a track 200 times as fast as possible, what strategy would win? That's an actual question that's explored here. 
My college friend and I have had this debate for years. If you put a million hungry ants in a glass cube with one human, who's more likely to walk out alive? What would happen if the Earth's rotation sped up until a day only lasted a second? That wouldn't end well, by the way. This book, What If 2, is great for inquiring minds, especially fans of the humor you might find, say, in the show Big Bang Theory. And Randall Monroe is one of the people in the center of this very brilliant yet absurd universe. He lives in Massachusetts. He also writes the science question and answer blog, What If?, and the popular webcomic, XKCD. Randall used to work for NASA. He was a roboticist. But he left NASA in 2006 to draw comics on the internet full-time. Randall, how did that feel, to walk away from NASA and, and draw comics? Uh, well, walking away from it, it, it was, it, depending on who you ask, it was sort of a mutual decision. Um, the, I was working on a contract basis in this robotics lab, and, and at some point, um, maybe because I, I uh, spent some time, I hooked up a harness to one of the robots and drove it around the, the <laughs> lab hallways. Um, they never complained about me, but uh, I know that at one point my contract came up, and they're like, well, we've decided not to renew this particular contract. You know, we can have someone help you find another one in another lab. Um, but at that point, I started drawing these comics online, and and I was like, you know, I, I'm going to try uh, doing that full time for a little bit. Was that and then scary? I sort of never look back. Was it scary to say I'm going to go from NASA robotics to comics? I got I got really lucky, sort of right place, right time in the early internet. Uh, you know, in the the days of like things going going viral and, and people. Uh, producing and selling stuff online, where you'd get this kind of, it was like overnight. Like I put up some stuff, you know, a t-shirt for sale, and I sold like 12 copies, six of them to my mom. And then like the next day, you know, the next week or the next month, I put up another t-shirt and suddenly just like sold out immediately. Like people were like, because suddenly people, you know, have one person passes it to another person. Uh, I, I didn't even have a word for going viral, but mm -hmm. it, it, it was so surprising and overwhelming and like to discover there are all these people out there who are interested in the same stuff I am. It was so exciting that it almost you know it was like it would be scary to leave to walk away from that but that's just i just got got really lucky there you know well there's more of you out there than maybe you even knew right people who think like you yeah that's that's what's been so cool about this is learning that like this this kind of stuff that i'm interested in curious about like when i'll i'll write about it or write books about it um discovering there are all these people out there um who have been wondering about the same things and are interested in, in you know, what I've figured out and and maybe have, like, sometimes they'll write and be like, hey, we've wondered about this too and our research team has worked on this problem and here's, you know, we've got more data. Wow. And, and it's, it's just really neat to connect with all these different people who are, who are all just interested in, like, how the world works. So then came the book, Thing Explainer, How To and What If, right? Big, big, mm -hmm. big hit. And now we have another book. Tell us about that. Yeah, well, so I've, I, I've been answering people's questions that they mail in. So when I started drawing comics about science, people would write in with their questions where it's like they had an argument with their friend and they wanted someone to settle it. And they'd be like, hey, me and my friend are arguing about, you know, could Superman dodge a bullet without creating a shockwave or something? You know, and, and we figured this is too trivial a question to bother a real scientist with. But we all agreed you could, you know, you <laughs> seemed like the right person to answer it. And But I was always too interested in the answer to be like, take time to figure out if I should be insulted or or not because I'm like oh well now I want to know this too so now it's like all three of us in this together because I'm not gonna uh, now I'm gonna like 
even if I had something I was supposed to be doing, I'm going to end up spending like six hours researching like shockwaves and bullet speeds and Superman's, you know, uh, official powers and stuff and come up with an answer. And then I, I was like, if I'm going to be doing all this work anyway, I should probably like write this down. Maybe other people are interested. And it's been really cool to see how many people uh, also want to know about these things. It's kind of like a kinder, gentler, smarter version of Reddit. Yeah. I mean, there's there's a lot of cool people on there who answer questions. Like now and then I'll get a question. I'll be like, I, I want to figure this out and then discover like, oh, there's a cool scientist over here who's already answered it. To me, that's always, I'm always just really happy when I find that someone else has already answered a question I'm wondering about because I'm not usually thinking about I want to, you know, make a book of this. I'm thinking, like, I just want to know the answer to this question. Right. And, right. like, if someone else can do the work for me, I'm, that's, that's great. I'll, I'll, uh, I just want to know, you know? And, like, if no one else has written it up, has explained it, uh, then I'm happy to, to share what I found. What are some of the things we're going to learn in What If 2? One of the, one of the simple questions that I had never really thought about and, and, that made me uh, uh, realize a lot of stuff I didn't understand was someone asked, hey, if, if I stood over the geyser at Old Faithful in Yellowstone, would I die when it went off? What, what would happen? Um, and, you know, the, the, the person who asked this, I, she was like, I'm not going to do this. I'm just curious. And, and I, it made me realize, so what I like about these questions is, like, when you make a question concrete like this, it has an answer. And if you don't understand how the thing works, you know, you, you don't know what the answer is. And that, when, when, she, when I got this question about the geyser, it made me think, okay, well, wait a minute. So you'd probably die, right? Um, but what is that stuff coming out of a geyser? Is it just, is it steam or is it water? Is it like a super soaker in the ground? Uh, and I realized I've, I've seen pictures of geysers, but I don't, I don't actually know. And, and then I, I realized I don't even know, is it hot or not? I know it's powered by geothermal, you know, uh, uh, pressure and stuff, but I didn't know if the geyser itself was hot water or hot steam or, or what. And it's like all these very basic questions that, like, if you ask me, you know, do you know about geysers? Do you know what they are? I was like, oh, yeah, I've seen pictures. I, I know about those. But, like, when you make a concrete question like this, uh, turn it into that, then you really have to dig into these things and figure out, okay, what is the stuff? Um, the, the long story short there, it is very hot. It's a mix of sort of water and steam, and, and you, you could very easily die. Lots of people have been badly burned by looking into, trying to look into the geyser at Yellowstone, um, and that's why they have a lot of very strict warning signs. So if you ever visit Yellowstone, really listen to those signs. There's a long history of people being badly injured by ignoring the park uh, officials. Okay, I will do that. Randall Monroe, number one New York Times bestselling author of What If and How To, and now we have What If Too. Imagine just being so smart and clever that you can ponder things all the live long day. If you know a ponderer, or if you'd like a copy of this book, let me know, What If Too. I also have a copy of Smart Brevity from Jim Vandehei and the guys at Axios. If you'd like that, let me know. Reach out at caseysplace.com. Shout out to everyone on the Circle of Women page. We have had a September to remember to meditate. So thanks for coming on that 30-day journey with us. I've got some ideas about winter and the new year. For sure, a New Year's weekend retreat online and an in-person retreat in February in Ossining. Our thought for the day is from Delia Owens, who wrote, Autumn leaves don't fall, they fly. They take their time and they wander on this their only chance 
to soar. Shine on. You've been listening to Shine On, the health and happiness show with new episodes every week. It's your time to shine on. Shine on.